In between the beginning and end of life, there is creation. And in between the beginning and end of creation, there is time for the Forecast Podcast. Welcome. I'm your ever-intrepid host, Sophie O. My guest today is Hannah Mattis, a German-based artist who does photography, acts, paints, writes. Uh, basically, she's just very multi-talented. Uh, she's also very sweet and down-to-earth. And those qualities always lead to a great and fun conversation. So take a listen. I am here with Hannah Mattis. So, Hannah, tell me about, well, let's start with how did you end up, and by extension, end up in this podcast? How did you end up working with Forecast? I know it had to do with someone named David Rothenberg. So tell us that story. That's right. So David Rothenberg and I have been involved in a collaboration uh, since, almost since the first lockdown in 2020. Maybe a little bit later, but it had it had a lot to do with with that situation that we were all put mm-hmm. in, actually. Because what happened uh, in my specific case, I was working with a different um, musician. His name is Ernst Reisiger. He's from the Netherlands. He's a jazz cellist, and um, uh, I was working with him on basically putting putting sounds and and music uh, to some poetry that I had written and a, and a book that I had published with photography and and poetry together and we were we were working on this cycle of this poetry and and sound cycle and then the first lockdown hit and uh, all the performances that we we had planned of course were cancelled and we went online and um, David Rosenberg was one of the people, who saw us perform online. Because of course, I mean, one of the amazing things about this was that anywhere in the world, people could join. And so while I was in Berlin and Ernst Reisiger was in the Netherlands, there were people joining from the United States, from South America, even from Africa, to see us perform. And when David Rosenberg saw us perform, he wrote to me afterwards and he said he would be interested in in working with me. And so we started this long collaboration where we would meet online and uh, and he would sh- uh, show me his recordings of pond sounds that he had taken on long walks uh, past oh, ponds wow. in New York, uh, like upstate New York, where he lives. Mm-hmm. And then I was writing texts about, you know, subject matters that had to do with longing and desire and not being able to be together or, you know, touch ephemerality, things like that. Um, and... And so we, in the end, decided to make an album out of that. And, uh, and we just recently published it with a Berlin, um, Berlin publisher, Berlin uh, label called Iapetus. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the pieces that we worked on is called uh, The Atmosphere. Oh. And, and since the title of the new issue Mm -hmm. of forecast is the atmosphere david rosenberg was like oh wait a minute we need to submit this (laughs) and so i think that it was his initiative he he just wrote to forecast journal and said hey we have this poem and this this actually this musical piece here Mm -hmm. but um its foundation is this poem that i that i sent in that's crazy how it worked out so well like that 
Yes, it's a long story to tell that short uh, little bit, no? Because it, yeah. No, I love long stories, and I love Good. when they lead up to something. It's like it's it's the punchline in if in the comedy world, indeed. Uh, and I know you've been working on a lot of collaborative art pieces now, or have been in the recent moment. But you started out with photography. Am I correct about that? Yeah, that's right. I started my art career as, uh, you know, using a lot of photography. But uh, even in art school, uh, while while I studied at the photography department, I actually never took a picture until the final exam. Like in the final year, I started taking mm -hmm. photographs. And before that, I was writing and, uh, and making performances. And sometimes my teachers would ask, you know, are you sure you're in the right department? And I would be like, well, you know, I kind of like talking to you. And they were like, oh, we kind of like talking to you. So you know, it was never really a problem. But I, I think I, um, I always approached photography from a very different angle than just um, the frame that the photograph mm -hmm. allows me to have. And I've also never uh, photographed digitally. I, I don't own a digital camera. I still work with my Mamiya 6x7, which is a fairly large studio camera that is quite heavy and um, I work analog and I use my negatives a lot to um, to make my images. So I paint on my negatives or I make collages in the negative and or I sometimes work with double exposures and things like that. And then because I was so, and I, and I also use my performance in my photography. So I often perform in my images, right? So uh, I would always have this conversation, is this a self-portrait or is it, is it a performance? And I will always argue that it is a performance. But so from photography, because I think because for me, uh, the negative itself is something that I can touch and use and sculpt in certain ways, I also started painting on canvas and, and uh, I started a writing practice. And this all is sort of coming together right now in these collaborations with these musicians. And and also we are putting it on stage, actually. So um, the, oh, the wow. record release party, basic, basically, that we had for, for the album that we just put out was in a theater here in Berlin. And um, the stage set, like the stage design, was actually done with my paintings. So it, it was a really nice combination of all these different things that I've been working with. And then also... Alongside with the album, I published a little book, which also contains photography that happened at the same time that this collaboration was already underway, let's say. That's also exciting. Oh, gosh, what I would have given to be at their launch part or release party. Yeah, it was fun. It, it, it was something new as well for me because I'd, I'd performed with uh, both David Rosenberg and Ernst Reisiger before um, in different locations, but they were usually more off locations, I would say. Like, for example, I would perform in the gallery that I had a show in, or I would perform at a certain in a certain park by a certain tree and would invite the audience to come there. And, you know, these are very special locations, but it, it added something to be in a theater. There, there was a the, suddenly the play with the audience was very different because I think the expectation of a viewer to be in a theater and be seated and you know everything is dark apart from the stage, there is an expectation what is going to happen between the people on stage and the people in the audience. 
And that actually was quite interesting. It was the first time that I did that. Wow. That um, um, really does sound like really fun. <laughs> because actually the, the, the piece that, um, that I've submitted to Forecast, no, the, uh, this poem, The Atmosphere, is quite a special piece, both the poem itself as well as the, the musical piece that resulted from in the collaboration. And just before we started recording, I told you where I live in Berlin, mm -hmm. uh, which is just right outside this old airfield in the middle of the city. It's the airfield of Tempelhof. And uh, it's been shut down for quite a while now. There's no more air, air traffic here. And people flock from all over Berlin, but also all over the world to come to this place because it's quite special. It's, it's a park now, but it is also still an, an airfield. You can see that it used to be an airfield. So there, mm -hmm. you know, there's a landing strip and there's these, there are these signs everywhere that say, stop here for taxi or something weird like that. You know, there's, mm -hmm. there's all these old elements from the airport. And uh, so people come here from everywhere to, to, you know, take a walk or to cycle. Mm -hmm. They skate and they even have, you know, they use kites and kite skating and all that kind of things. And sometimes, like, I look out my window and I, I see the airfield and it's looking out over the, to the west. So I see the sunset every night and I see the the sky changing every night, right? Mm -hmm. And it's, it's the colors that are turning in front of my window and actually also influencing the light inside of my room. And then also sometimes there's people there that sit at a certain angle watching the sunset. Oh. And when the sun has gone down, they clap. Oh. <laughs> which is so beautiful. I love it, it so much. It's such a beautiful thing that they clap for the sunset. And it reminds me of this poem by Heinrich Heine. It's a German, German poem. I'm not sure I can translate it. I'm going to say it in German for anyone who is a German listener, and then I'm going to try and translate it. So it goes like this. Das Fräulein stand am Meere und seufzte lang und bang. Es rührte sie so sehr der Sonnenuntergang. Ach, Fräulein, seien Sie munter. Das ist ein altes Stück. Da vorne geht sie unter und kehrt von hinten zurück. So what happens, a woman is standing uh, at the beach looking at the sunset and she's, she's sad because the sun is going down. And she sighs, she has this long sigh, like an ah. Oh. And then he, she, there's another voice, a second voice saying, but miss, don't worry about it. It's an old piece. This is an old play. It vanishes over there, but it will return from behind. Oh, that's lovely. It's really cute. It's really, really Aww. cute. So anyhow, I'm reminded of this poem every time I look out the window, basically. And uh, at a certain point, I think this was also in lockdown, I started writing about it. And I started writing about the influence of this specific window that I have that is offering me the sunset every day just as it offers the sunset to everyone who's coming here to, to watch it and how it, how it changes the atmosphere in my room and how it mm. changes the atmosphere outside and how I connect the inside and the outside through this and how it transports me into a different kind of atmosphere, right? How I can, how I can actually transcend uh, through space and time 
if I want to. I love all of that. That is, first of all, I love that poem is going to stick with me, even though <laughs> I didn't quite understand it, but I love the translation. I love the idea of atmosphere, different atmospheres changing rooms and environments. That's really fascinating. So I know that you have a very personal style. It's very, speaking of planets and like sunsets and sunrises, you work with like a very space inspired style, but not all of it is necessarily, not all the space stuff, to put it in air quotes, is uh, like accurate. It's more like a almost like a dreamer's interpretation of space. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, that's right. I'm, uh, I would say I'm really fascinated by landscapes and they also offer space, right? I mean, if we talk mm -hmm. about space, there's different kinds of space that we can talk about. So mm -hmm. landscapes in the first instance, any wide view basically is something that I'm attracted to. And I started Actually, I started, it's my, my fascination for landscapes started in the United States. I started traveling in the U.S. Uh, around 2007, shortly after I graduated from art school. And, um, and I, started, I started out actually looking for like old film sets, right? Because I was fascinated with the whole Hollywood film uh, scene. And, and, mm. and I started realizing that some of these places that, are actually geographical places, something like um, Monument Valley, lost its its geographical uh, um, meaning because of all these movies that we know that just fill in the stories, right? But then, of course, there's much older stories there that we don't really know anymore or that we have lost the connection to. And they're also not really our stories. I mean, they're definitely not mine. And, and I started, and that made me, that startled me, you know, it startled me that you could apparently ingrain a landscape with story or with, with meaning in that sense. And so I started looking really for these, for these inherent stories and not, and I moved away from the Hollywood stuff. Uh, uh, I wasn't so interested in that anymore, but I started looking for for the stories that the landscapes themselves tell. And I started being susceptible to that. And I've looked much more into indigenous storytelling and in um, emotional storytelling, let's say, or in, you know, just breathing the air and the landscape. And, and, and then I've also always been interested in outer space. Or for a long time, I've been interested in outer space. Basically, when I started looking at landscapes more closely, you see all these valleys and hills and mountains and whatnot. And researching them, I found out that some of the Earth movements are not actually because of the tectonic plates, but because of meteorites crashing into the landscape and actually making valleys. So um, I started looking into that and into the relationship between outer space and Earth and, and, and made a whole project about that, uh, which is called Searching for the Cold Spot, which is the first time that I combined writing and imagery as well. But this time I, I didn't write the text myself. A, a friend of mine, David Colosi, did. 
And then in the follow-up project, the Luna system, um, which is a system that uh, is, is not related to the solar system at all. It's the mm -hmm. lunar system and it, everything revolves around the moon, not around the sun. And that was the first time that I basically dared to use my own writing and, um, and talk, about, talk about those landscapes that I saw and photographed in Chile and also in the United States. And then uh, also about my emotional landscape. That's when I started writing about emotional landscapes, actually. Was it, how did you decide that that was going to be the first time you were going to uh, use your writing in a piece? Um, so what happened is I, I went to Chile because I was attracted by a place called uh, La Valle de la Luna, the Valley of the Moon. And since I'd always been uh, interested in the moon, like many people are, many of us are, it's our uh, beautiful satellite here. Uh, so we, uh, I, I went, I went to this place in Chile called Valle, Valle de la Luna. It's in the in the Atacama Desert, uh, because I thought, you know, maybe maybe there's a story there. I didn't know much about it. I had seen some pictures, but you know, so I spent three weeks in the desert, in this one place, and I, apart from being in incredibly hot, uh, it was also a very it was a very intense experience because I really didn't move so much. I'm used to moving a lot, but this time I just stood still and just, you know, watched this landscape. And I was lucky enough to be able to meet with some indigenous people there. And they, they all told me their version of the, of the mythologies mm -hmm. that surround this landscape and the mountains and, while they were talking, I thought, oh, this is really interesting because it seems like they're telling me my story. And I, I realized, like, I had, I had made up something weird when I was young. I had, like, when I was a child, I would give my friends and my family or, you know, people that I was in love with, I would give them secret nicknames. And those nicknames would be the planets of the solar system, right? So the, uh, there was a Venus, a Jupiter, a Mars and, uh, in my life. <laughs> They, these people didn't know, but, you know, I, I kept doing that. I, uh, so there's not only one Venus, by the way, in my life. Oh. <laughs> there's multiple Venuses uh, and actually multiple Jupiters. Um, but so I, I kept doing that. And when I heard about this mythology of the Likanantai who live in this, in this region of the desert, I was really reminded of my own story. And I thought, oh, if I photograph this landscape, maybe I should try and tell my story with it. And so I decided to write about all these romantic encounters, let's say, with, with my planets. <laughs> oh, oh, that's beautiful. Thank you. You're welcome. Oh, my gosh. Oh, I'm getting a little swoony over the idea of someone nicknaming me after a planet. Something about that is just terribly romantic. Yes. I mean, I think since I've since I've worked on this project, um, which also came out as a book, a lot of people tell me that their nickname is the sun, or that they know someone who they nickname the sun or the moon. Mm -hmm. Sun and moon are the the most common ones. So I'm I'm not the yeah. only one who did that. I think maybe I, I I brought it a bit further by you know using other planets and other moons as well. I think my one friend has nicknamed her girlfriend Venus. Or well, there you go. Or like vice versa. So yes. there's that. Yes. 
do you have speaking of like childhood memories mm-hmm. you grew up among quite a few artists do you have any memories of your first time being interested in art making art with anyone else yeah or like yeah there's a couple of origin stories actually i mean everybody in my family is is on the artistic spectrum, uh, starting with my grandparents. Uh, my, my grandmother, uh, on my mother's side, she was a dancer and an actress, and my grandfather on my mother's side was a musician. He was a composer. And uh, my mom is an actress, my dad is a director. My brothers and all my siblings do something in the arts. My oldest brother is a filmmaker and a writer. My younger brother is a designer. Uh, my sister is a chef, which I also find quite uh, creative. Um, and so on and so forth. I mean, there's so many, like also my cousins and you name it. But so two origin stories. One is when I was asked as a child, what do you want to be when you grow up? I would say, I want to be an actress, a painter and a writer. And people said, but how will you do that? And I said, well, it's simple. I'm going to write my own screenplays or theater plays. I'm going to be the main actress. And I'll paint my own stage design. (laughs) And weirdly, just uh, half a year ago, when I did my first theater performance, I had written all the texts. I was the one performing, and the stage design was done with my own paintings. Perfect. Without really thinking about it, it actually became true. It took a while, almost 40 years. But still, you know, I got there. That's brilliant. I know. The other origin story is that when I was 11, I played um, in a a, a feature film, the main character. And the film was set in uh, 1905, I think, and revolved around a lot of inventions at the time, uh, among them photography. And so the character that I played received as a gift from her father one of these old field cameras and uh, starts to discover the world through the, through the lens or through this camera. And so in order to be able to play this role, I had to learn how to use this camera, how to develop film, how to go into the dark room and, you know, print photos and all these things. And um, the film was kind of successful, you know, it screened on a couple of uh, um, film festivals and then it was shown on TV every Christmas for a couple of years, you know. And, um, and so I received more offers. And my mother being an actress, you know, she, she was kind of supportive of that and thought, oh, maybe that's her pass as well. And, but I never, I kind of never liked the, the other roles that I was offered. And after a while, my mom said, you know, you don't have to do this, you know. We don't even have to read those screenplays. If you don't want to do it, then we can also just say that you are not interested. And I said, well, you know, actually, I prefer to have a camera. Oh. And that's how I got my first photo camera. So basically, acting in this movie kind of sparked my interest in photography. And then when... uh 10 years later, I started uh, in art school and started, um, you know, uh, learning about photography more on a professional level. I actually started performing. So I went back to being the actress, right? But I would only do it if it was my own, 
if it was in my own photograph or if I was also the director, you know. So yeah. I, I, I really could feel the influence of both my parents coming in while I was studying, you know, the, the, the wanting to have everything under control and, and, and setting the scene for everything like a director, but then also the need to act and to photograph myself. And, and then the third element uh, was my own, no, the photography. That is, I love both those stories so much. And I really want to see that film now so I can see Tiny uh, Hannah. It's not really worth it. It's a children's film. It's it's cute, but, you know. I, I like some children's films. I, sure, I think, sure. And it's almost the holidays. It sounds appropriate for it. <laughs> yes. No, it's kind of cute. It's, it's not easy to find these days. You know, it was the 90s. It was 91 when ah. it was shot. So it's a bit old. Um, no, I'd rather you look at my work now. I will do that as well. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Hannah. This has been so much fun. Sure. It was my pleasure. And so, our time together, for now, is over. Our time together will come again. Now is the time for creation and exploration. The moon rises. The sun sets. I'm Sophie O, and this has been The Forecast Podcast. Thank you.